Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to the first of our Advent series, Hungry in the House of Bread, Emptiness, by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is from the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 1. I'll be reading the whole chapter, and that's found on page 408 in your pew Bibles. Um, This is the uh, first of our four Sundays of Advent. And for Advent, we will be in the book of Ruth, which conveniently has four chapters. It's a wonderful story. It's a life-affirming story. It points directly to our Lord Jesus. Um, And so we will study it together this month. I call this sermon series, Hungry in the House of Bread. Uh, Maybe a little bit of an unusual title. It comes from verse 1, okay? Hungry, if you'll notice, the whole story starts out with a famine, in the land of Judah and in Bethlehem. The house of bread comes from Bethlehem. The meaning of the word Bethlehem is house of bread. Beth, house, lechem, bread. So when we're told that there is a famine in Bethlehem, you know things are bad. When there's hunger in the house of bread, things are bad. Let's see how bad by reading this chapter together. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went to Moab and they lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. And after they'd lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, by providing food for them back in Judah, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and Wei wept aloud, and they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, No, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? And Naomi here is referring to the custom of leveret marriage. Uh, brother was supposed to marry his widowed brother, his brother's widowed um, wife. That was a that was a rule. So everything here applies to that rule. So she says, "Am I going to have any more sons who would then become your husbands by law?" No. Nope. Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons. Would you wait till they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand 
has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her. She stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, the women of Bethlehem exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought misfortune on me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem, just as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Let's start by imagining what the scene at the beginning of verse 19 might have looked like. We're standing in the countryside of Judea, and there's a road, and on that road are, are two small figures, an older woman and a younger woman. They're moving very, very slowly. And that's probably because they're absolutely exhausted. They've been journeying for days. They've come all the way from Moab. The hot sun is beating down on them. And on their backs, two bags, they carry all their earthly possessions. Their clothes are dusty and they are tattered. They walk along the road and they come to a rise and as they crest the hill, they look down and in front of them, they can see their destination. There in the valley is Bethlehem, the place that they have been seeking. They stop. You might expect at that point that they would turn and embrace one another or flash a smile and say, yay, we're finally here, but there's none of that. The older woman's face is empty and her eyes are cold and she looks like she's been crying. The younger woman's face is more full of concern and she looks back and forth between the older woman's face and the town and the older woman and the town. And finally, she reaches out her hand and she grabs hold of her companion and she says, come on, Naomi, we can do this. Let's go. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Let's do this. And they start down towards the town. It's a picture of emptiness. The book of Ruth starts with emptiness. It's not an empty book. Those of you who know it, it's a book of joy. It's a book of hope. It's a wonderful book. But it starts, and especially in chapter 1, with deep emptiness. And if you want to know the hope and if you want to see the joy, you have to see how deep the emptiness is. Naomi is in deep trouble. 
It's not just her stomach that's empty, it's the rest of her life too. Her, em- her economic prospects are empty. She's got no men in her life. And in that culture, if you didn't have husband and if you didn't have sons, you had no way of providing for yourself. So if you were a vulnerable older person, you were doomed to a life of extreme poverty. The society around her was empty. Did you catch what era this story takes place? When does this take place? Time of the judges. What was the time of the judges like? The refrain in that book is that's when everybody does what is right in their own eyes. Everybody in the time of judges is looking out for themselves. If you're a vulnerable person in a world where no one is caring about others, but everyone is looking out for themselves, you're in deep trouble. And finally, Naomi's soul is empty. She doesn't, she's given up her faith. She still believes in God. But it's clear that she doesn't expect God to do her any favors. In fact, it's the opposite of that. She thinks that God is against her. She thinks, and she says it three times in her passage, that God's hand has turned against her, that he has rejected her, that he has brought her misfortune. So it's not just regular emptiness in this woman's life and in these two women's life. This is deep emptiness. They are in major trouble here. If Job and Naomi ever got together for coffee, they would have a lot to talk about. So deep emptiness, that's how the book starts. And we need to see that because that deep emptiness gives rise to the two central questions of the entire book of Ruth. And those two central questions are, A, what's going to happen to Naomi? Will her emptiness be filled? And B, how do we live in the face of deep emptiness? When deep emptiness comes into your life or into the life of someone you love, how do you live? How do you react to that? What do you do? in the face of that kind of emptiness. And, and those, of course, are not just questions for Ruth and Naomi in the context of this story. Those are our questions. Because many of us here know what it's like to face deep emptiness, and all of us here, I am sure, have walked beside someone like Ruth who has lived with deep emptiness. Have you ever had a season where the pit of sadness is in your stomach and you wake up every morning And this sadness and worry wakes up with you and it will not go away no matter how you try to distract yourself. If you've been in a season like that, you know what it's like to be in a Naomi place. Have you ever had a season where the silence of God is so deafening that you don't know how to pray anymore? And when you try to pray, it just seems meaningless. If that's you, then you know what it's like to be in a Naomi place. Have you ever been in a season where the words of songs or the words of Bible texts that you used to love suddenly don't have that same feeling anymore? I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you hope and a future. Suddenly those words that used to bring you comfort just make you angry. If you've ever been in a season like that or walked beside someone in a season like that, you know what it's like to live with deep emptiness. When the bad stuff happens in waves, when it doesn't seem to be doing any good at all, when it's utterly inexplicable 
and you can't figure out what God is doing or where he is, you know what it's like to be in Naomi's shoes. Will Naomi's emptiness be filled, and how do we live in the face of deep emptiness? These are our questions, and I want to look at the second of those two questions this morning, because I think that's the one that chapter one deals with. How do you deal with deep emptiness, whether you're the one in it or whether you're walking beside someone who's in it? And to try to answer that question, I want to look at how the main characters in this story react to this emptiness. Let's start with Naomi. How does Naomi react to her trouble? That's a pretty easy answer, she tells us. Bitterness. Naomi becomes bitter. Now, what does it mean to be bitter, and how is that different than just being sad? Sadness and grief are a natural reaction to the bad things that happen to us in our life. They are a healthy reaction. Your sadness tips over into bitterness when their sadness, the bad thing that happens to you, becomes your story, becomes the focus of your identity, becomes the story you tell to yourself about yourself, becomes the story that you tell to others, becomes the source of your power, becomes the source of who you are. And that is absolutely what's happened to Naomi, right? She identifies so closely with her loss that she names herself after it. Don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara, which means bitter. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Don't talk to me about pleasant things. There are no pleasant things in my life. There is no pleasantness. I am bitterness. Becomes her story. It's sort of like um, the chorus of blessed assurance in reverse. This is my story. This is my song, counting my sorrows all the day long. So Naomi has tipped over from sadness into bitterness. And I don't want to be too hard on her because all of us struggle with this. If you're in a time where where all kinds of things happen that are inexplicable to you, you will struggle with bitterness and you will tip over into that place sometimes. Is it what God wants? No. Is it something we're called to fight against? Yes. Is it understandable? I think yes. And that's why God gives us the Psalms of Lament. And that's why God gives us books like the book of Job so that we can work our way out of that bitterness and towards the light. But that's Naomi's reaction, right? Okay, bitterness. Ruth. How does Ruth react to this deep emptiness? Her reaction is wonderful. And it's wonderful on many dimensions, but at the center of what's wonderful about Ruth's reaction is that unconditional promise that she makes in verse 16. Okay, Naomi tries to push her away out of her bitterness, and if you've ever walked beside a bitter person, this is exactly what bitter people do. Out of her bitterness, tries to push her away. And what does Ruth do? She says, no way. Clings to her. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God. Where you're buried, I'm going to be buried. May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death, even death, separates me and you. In the midst of her mother-in-law's emptiness, Ruth makes this wonderful, unconditional promise. Let me ask you, does Ruth's promise have any biblical echoes for you? Do you hear any other parts of Scripture in Ruth's promise? 
I hear all sorts of echoes. Echoes of God's covenantal promises to us, like Psalm 139, right? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the depths, you are there. If I flee to the far side of the sea, even there your right hand will hold me fast, will cling to me. And what about that very end of Ruth's promise? May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separate me from you. Does that remind you of anything? Romans 8? Not even death can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is this amazing thing happening. Here's this Moabite girl, this foreigner, this person who didn't go up in the tradition, and somehow God is putting into her echoes of his covenant love. She is able to make these unconditional loving promises in the midst of this profound emptiness, and it is exactly the right thing to do in those circumstances. When we're walking beside someone who's profoundly empty and bitter, what do we want to do usually as human beings? We want to fix it. We want to come to them and say, okay, Naomi, I know what's going on here. I know what's wrong with you. And here's what we're going to do to make it better. Okay, we're going to do this. And that, that's a nice reaction. That's a, that's a human reaction. And, and it obviously comes from a, a place of caring. But it's not the best reaction. Because when you react that way, when it's like, I can figure this out and I can fix it, you're, you're, you're putting yourself, you're, you're drawing on human means, your ability to figure and the strength of your hand to fix. There may be a time down the road where I can figure this out and I can fix it is the right answer, but it's not the root. It's not where you start. The best reaction when you're walking beside someone in deep emptiness is to say, my dear friend, I have no idea why this is happening to you. And I don't know how to fix it. But I love you. And I'm going to be here from you no matter what. Nothing will stop me from loving you and walking beside you. When you make that kind of promise, you're not tapping into your own strength and your own capacities you are tapping into the ever-loving covenant love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lou Smeads is so good on this. Lou Smeads loves to talk about the power of promises, and in one of his sermons, he puts it this way. When a person makes a promise, she reaches out into an unpredictable future, a future where everything's empty, and makes one thing predictable. She will be there even when her being there costs her more than she wants to pay. That's exactly what Ruth does for Naomi, and that's exactly what we can do for the people we love who are walking in emptiness. Okay, that's how two of the, story, there's two of the main characters react. Naomi, bitterness. Ruth, promise. There's one more main character we have to talk about. Who is that main character? It's not, did someone say God over there? That's pretty good. That's the right answer. <laughs> not only like that, Oprah, God. That was you, wasn't it, Katie? It wasn't you? Okay. God. 
I mean, he's not only the main character in chapter one, he's the main character in the, whole, in the whole book of Ruth, we'll find out. Where is God in this story? That's not so easy to say, right? Because he doesn't say anything. He doesn't do any miracles. Where is God in this story? Naomi, when she's talking to the other women of Bethlehem, can't see him at all, right? He says, call me bitter, forget about me, God's hand is against me. If I were Naomi's pastor and I was standing beside her, I would say, no, 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 Naomi, God is there, and I would point her to two places where she could see him. First, I would point to Ruth, like we've said. I would say, look at Ruth, look at this girl, look at these loving promises she made to you. Where do you think she learned a promise like that? Only the God who loved us so much to send his only son in order that all his promises could be kept could possibly teach that girl to love like that. God is there for you in that girl. Okay, that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd point to to show the presence of God is the barley. Did you notice that little detail in the story? We started in famine, right? No food at all. Then in verse 6, we hear that God is starting to feed his people again. And then right at the very end of the chapter, it tells us that, that Ruth and Naomi come at the time of the barley harvest. Why is that detail in there? It's not a meaningless detail. That detail matters. That is a pregnant detail. That's a detail that shows that God is up to something. That something is starting to change. When Naomi left... The fields around Bethlehem were empty, but now as she comes back, even though her head's to the ground and she's not paying attention, the fields around her are full of amber waves of grain. And it shows that God is up to something and everything is about to change. It reminds me of another biblical scene. Flash forward a thousand years, two other travelers who made a long journey to Bethlehem. Who knows, maybe they're coming up over the same rise. This time it's a man and a woman. The man is walking, the woman is on a donkey, and she's very pregnant. And they stop at the top of the hill and they look over the town. Down in Bethlehem, the town is just settling down for the night. The shepherds are taking their flocks out into the fields to watch them. The baker is putting away his stuff in the market. The innkeeper is hanging a no vacancy sign above his inn. And he turns to the baker and says, another day, another dollar. And the baker grunts in reply. Up on the hilltop, the young couple starts their journey down towards the town. And as they start, the woman gives a start because the baby inside of her has just given her an almighty kick. God is up to something. He is on the move. And everything, everything is about to change. Thanks be to God. Lord, you know the emptiness, the empty places of each and every heart here some of those emptinesses are just relatively small places, gaps in different spots of our lives. But for some of us here, the, the, our emptiness is the central feature, a great wound in the middle of our lives, in the middle of our families, in the middle of our hearts. Lord God, 
You who have taken care of your people for generation upon generation, you have promised to love us with a steadfast covenant love during this Advent season as we look to Jesus. May we find hope and may we find our emptiness filled. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.